Welcome to Danish Policy. I'm Charlene. I'm Crispin. And this channel is aimed at telling people we discuss important issues facing life and society. We can review as we look at last week's topics, but we could go off topic because I probably will. How okay. are you, Crispin? I'm excellent. Uh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, actually, there's a lot of people have been asking about you lately. I've Me? Running, yeah, yeah. So I've been running into people in real life. Uh, who are like, oh, oh that, that girl that does all the things with you, you know, who's she, blah, blah, blah. Amazing and, person, that's who it is. Oh, well, I mean, I, I paraphrase, <laughs> of course. Uh, and uh, no, I said, look, you know, she started out as the video editor, uh, you know, was employed to kind of do a lot of this work and, and because we wanted to have a review where we could kind of answer comments and reflect on previous, like, topics we'd covered, mm. uh, we would do this together so we could, you know, she could ask questions, we could banter and, and do... And that emerged and evolved as the week in review. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they're like, okay, so, you know, she's the video editor, but but no. Uh, I mean, she does do video editing, but Charlene is well and truly now the partner in crime mm. uh, as a you know full partner of Dangerous Policy. This could not have been done without her. And to that extent, I would like to celebrate a massive milestone. Uh, we have done a full year of Dangerous Policy. Yeah, uh, the the evolution of the quality of production has been immense over that time. Mm. Uh, if we go back to the earliest videos, the quality is markedly different. Atrocious. <laughs> well, by comparison, I mean at the time you're like, okay, this is all right, but but every aspect, uh, whether it's the uh, the equipment, the the way the audio editing is done, the video editing, the quality of video presentation, the scripting, all of that sort of stuff, massively changed over that time and continues to change. We continue mm. to learn and evolve. Uh, the only thing that I kind of think is uh, you know, stalled a bit is just the uh, the studio itself because we've had to move from the place we were in, which was decked out exactly as we wanted it, uh, but now, you know, we have to kind of make do because it's sort of temporary arrangement, although we might um, make this more permanent with, with appropriate changes. Mm. Uh, and I think it wasn't that bad. In a serious setup, it's not that bad. No, it's not, it's not bad by, by any stretch, but, but, you know, we have a vision and, and there's, there's all kinds of little things you can do, um, you know, improve the soundproofing, get mm. the background a little bit better, make sure the colour scheme actually works really well. Um, I mean, one thing I do miss from the old studio is that, like, the, the background colours were quite specific. Yeah. You could see the yellow and the, and the thing. Now they kind of blur together. Yeah. Uh, so things like that. Do you, I'll be honest, did you actually think we'll get to one year? Uh no. And yes, that's, I am. <laughs> that's because you start things in life and how many things do you start and not finish, right? Mm. Like I wanted to do this project for a long, long time because if I didn't try at it, if I didn't, you know, actually deliver a product, then I would always be left wondering, you know, could we have done this? Mm. And yet uh, I always believe that, okay, we would maybe get a few months into it and then it, we would decide then, you know, okay, should we continue with it or not? Yeah. And that's not what really happened. We just kept stumbling forward. And uh, after one year... Yeah, it's like same time next week. Yeah, coffee? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what we did. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it's very much like the if you want to be a writer, write kind of mm. situation. And where have we come in this year? Well, obviously the quality of the content has improved dramatically, but but more than that, we've created a community that uh, I am deeply grateful for. Our original like ideal was to have a thousand subscribers after one year. We're at like eight hundred and thirty something at the time of this recording. Uh, that is very close to our goal. Mm. Uh, and in fact, if you can get eighty percent of what you want. Uh, you know, in terms of achieving goals, and you are really doing well. There is, uh, is it Tube Buddy, is what it's called, or the program that? Oh, Social Blade. Social Blade, different program. Yeah. Uh, Social Blade predicts the quality of the the growth and the and the expansion of subscribers and viewership and all of that. Our trajectory looks extremely promising. So people come up to me and they're like, "Oh, you know, your content's great." And people who are being nice come up and be like, "Oh, your content's great." Uh, you know, you're not getting that many views, you know, we really hope you, you do better, blah, blah, blah. People don't realise that for all those channels that have like a million subscribers or 100,000 subscribers, they all started off with 
far fewer. Mm. And if you look at the number of videos and the time it takes for them to get up that distribution curve, uh, which is exponential, uh, it takes many years. So the fact that we've got to this milestone in a year Mm. is outstanding. And also, like, again, like you said, the community that we built, right, like a lot of channels take a long time to build any community and because we've been consistent and returning subscribers and their comment, people are commenting on each other's comments, like that has all been organic. Like it hasn't been, there's nothing been paid. We haven't really been marketing because we don't have time, but we've just been focusing on content. That's right. Yeah. A hundred percent. So the, the community, as Charlene says, is totally organic. Uh, we haven't invested in any campaigns. And that little thread that you said, commenting on each other's comments it's uh, we are just you know agenda setters in this channel we we really appreciate when people discuss among themselves mm. the the content that has been produced uh, and we are getting responses from all walks of life which we really appreciate uh, the greatest surprise over the year was the lithuania audience that just emerged out of nowhere yeah uh, in part we were uh, benefited by the youtube algorithm thanks Clearly. oprah <laughs> So the YouTube uh, algorithm uh, kind of indicated that there wasn't sufficient service for Baltic audience. So Lithuanians and Latvians and so on weren't spending as much time on YouTube as the algorithm wanted. Mm. Uh, so it really boosts our Baltic content and, and encouraged us to produce more. Mm. Uh, so when we produced our first Lithuania video, uh, it was just a shooting star. I didn't have any real intention to make it an ongoing thing. Mm. Uh, but because of the the quality of the feedback and also the fact that um, when you dig into Lithuania, you know, I've been there a number of times, uh, just how underrated it is and unsung, mm. uh, it was a great privilege to, to produce more content uh, to serve that audience and also expand the viewership to the rest of the world. Mm. Um, that, that has been the biggest surprise in this journey. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to to more of that mm. uh yeah it was surprising because when you like i remember the first time you did that lithuanian video and i was like where is lithuania who will watch this <laughs> yeah and it became like our second most popular video yeah. well kind of first pop most popular at the video time, at the yeah. time yeah and it just mm. shot up and like huh i should really think about lithuania a little bit more let's do another one and just see if this this was just a you know, a, a, fluke, a yeah. fluke kind of thing. And no, like there's a genuine audience out there that want to speak about Lithuanian Baltic culture. Yeah, and not just Lithuanians. Um, so uh, like one of the things when I dig into the the algorithms and mm. dig into the analytics is that there are a lot of other people in the world that are like, you know, I want to go someplace that's not, you know, France and Italy. I want to, I want to see mm. Europe before it's, where can I go? And, and Lithuania keeps coming up and rightly so. It's It's got all the things that people want in Europe, you know, classical history, uh, you know, wonderful like little anecdotes and things, great natural beauty, but none of that it's not overrun by tourists and mm. there isn't all the traps and everything. So, yeah, that, that's been a real great thing where a lot of people around the world have been asking about it and, and that it's been a great joy for us yeah. to kind of um, bring that to the world stage. We'll and like, do that. it has such good alignment with just how outspoken they are about anti-communism and, you know, with US and China, like it's just, Lithuania just has it all. <laughs> Yeah, a, a very plucky country. It's mm. very, very faithful to to values, and uh, you know, I, I just um, as I, mean, I don't know if we'll talk about it today, but recorded that video with um, the interview between Jonathan Swan and mm. Imran Khan. You see the duplicity of a lot of political leaders. The, the massive gap that exists between their rhetoric and the reality. And Lithuania doesn't have that problem. They're yeah. like, yeah, we're not going to trade with countries that commit atrocities. Uh, <laughs> we believe in freedom of speech. So these are things that, that Lithuania does really well. So that's been a great privilege and joy. Mm. Uh, other things that I would recommend, and, and um, I don't want to make Charlene's head bigger than it already is, but uh, when you create a YouTube channel, it really profits you to do it with other people. Agreed. Uh, they're like, when Charlene asks, look, would we still be doing it? Um, you know, when like predicting a year ago, would we still be here? Mm. Uh, if it was me by myself, the answer would be absolutely no. Because the amount of work that goes into it is extraordinary. People think you just turn on the microphone and the camera and away you go. Not at all. You've got like, hours and hours of editing, whether it's the video, the sound, you're trying to do all the, the YouTube's back-end sort of work, 
Um, you're re-recording things because you stuff things up and so on. It takes like a single video takes a day, right? Mm. Uh, and if you're not doing it with someone that is with you on that journey and can really a share the burden of work, but also kind of um, you know be party to the to the struggle, uh, then it's really enervating. Very difficult to get the motivation up. So I don't understand those people that just are the one stop shows who create content themselves mm. and nothing else i find that very hard to imagine now having been here and, and although we we have this wonderful community it's uh kind of a challenge that uh charlene is it's still very isolating right so mm. so having someone else there who is with you doing it um it actually makes that community come to life all the more so mm. uh so if you are thinking about a, creating a youtube channel i absolutely encourage it and support it but my god is it a lot of work find someone you can tolerate for long periods of time and uh like and another charlene no <laughs> yes i mean it, it it'll help work those endurance muscles yeah. you know <laughs> yeah okay mate <laughs> <laughs> no charlene has been has been truly great um i, I it's actually quite funny. A little little um, story. So we we met uh, in a in a work environment, mm. and I didn't know Charlene very much at all before um, suggesting this. Uh, so yeah, like we didn't work that closely. We knew of each other, and then kind of yeah. So our interactions were minimal. I mean, not minimal, but like not you know. I didn't have. She wasn't a childhood friend or anything like that. It's it, our yeah. friendship has really evolved in the context of doing this. Um, so there is no, there, there was no guarantee at the start, mm. nothing to say, oh, yeah, this will all work out. Yeah, yeah, um, it actually is such a risk when you think about it. If like a year ago, like what the conversation was, I want to start this YouTube channel. Oh, I couldn't look like this, could look like that. And I'm like, okay, let's try. <laughs> and that was it. They're like, yeah, let's just go. And we had no idea what we were doing. And yeah, it could have, we could have banged Tez really quickly at that point. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and yes, and the the thing is, at the time, you know, I was employing Charlene, so the relationship was, you know, boss, yeah, um, contractor, uh, and so I felt like able to just direct the way things were going to go. But it was very clear from early on that Charlene was doing a lot of initiative, making a lot of things her own, and and uh, I just, you know, it clearly wasn't going to to be fair. I thought for for if, if dangerous policy was to succeed. Um, for her just to have, live in the shadows. And also uh, because it was obvious that our, our working relationship had evolved in such a way that uh, we both valued the brand of what we were mm. creating together, uh, that you know the, the investiture of success was, was worthwhile, which is why Charlene is no longer my employee, but also now you know full partner in this endeavor. So hopefully over the years uh, to come, we will continue to expand at the current right mm -hmm. um and to to put this in mind uh, you know because people do come up to me and say oh you know you're still growing blah, blah blah you don't get that many that's not true it took us like three months to get our first hundred subscribers mm. and then we're on an exponential growth curve so a year from now uh, i expect us to have thousands of subscribers mm. uh and uh, and a year after that you know maybe ten thousand. so we're, we're doing exceptionally well yeah, it's um, so weird, right? I have the same comments. It's like people look at my ch our channel and being like, yeah, I'm like it's growing, but not that much. Like you could do this better, you could do that better. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like let's just compare ourselves to where we were a year ago. <laughs> and it, we're such a unique channel. Like I don't I don't see anybody that does what we do mm. <laughs> for, for the most part. And also like it's YouTube is so skewed. Of course they're going to show you like channels with millions and millions of subscribers, but they've been on YouTube for 10 years plus. <laughs> and we've been on YouTube for one year. So it's... um Yes, people have a skewed perception. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, we all do it. Like, I oh, do it all the time. Sure, sure. Uh, but we can, we can kind of actually uh, skewer this a bit. So uh, of the podcasts that are out there, and I'm trying to remember the statistics I shared with you the other day. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'll try and remember them. She'll bring them up and, and tell me I'm wrong. But uh, basically, the I think 70% of all channels have like give up after three episodes. Oh, okay. So 9% of podcasts don't get past episode three. That's 90%. Wow. 1.8 million who quit. 
Of the 200,000 left, 90% will quit after 20 episodes. That's another 180,000 gone. To be in the top 1% of podcasts in the world, you only need to publish 21 episodes. And we're at like 130 <laughs> or something. So yeah, we're, we're, yeah that, it's, it's, <laughs> the, uh, most of the work is showing up. Mm. The other thing is that, uh, like Jordan Peterson says, you don't compare yourself where other people are today. Compare where you were yesterday. And as Charlene points out, the, the journey has been amazing. Uh, and we continue to improve and we continue mm. to change. And we continue to be inspired. Uh, mm. We get inspired by the audience and we get inspired uh, by each other and and, mm. and the, the the opportunities that present for this channel. And we have great plans for this channel in the future. Yeah. Um, for example, when we do get to 1,000 subscribers, uh, we will start looking at merch options. Um, I don't want us to, this is just my own view, maybe Charlene has a different view, but my, my own view is that we don't want to go down like cheap knockoff T-shirts with slogans. We might have that as like a, a novelty, but what we really want is to have good quality merchandise that people would really enjoy uh, that fit with the theme and brand of the channel. So, for example, Baltic Amber, for example, you know, to go with our Lithuanian sort of story, all of that sort of stuff to have things that when people you know, go and buy stuff from Dangerous Policy. Yes, they're supporting the channel, but they're also stuff that they actually want and use. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of things. Uh, but, bruh, at, what, at like one year, you got me a bag with a Dangerous Policy sticker on it. Well, it was a leather bag. <laughs> I'm going to cut that in because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all, so you all have seen the photo now. Yeah, yeah because, um, yeah, I actually gave the sticker, because you gave me some stickers, and I gave that to my mum. I'm like, mum, free merch. It's just like... <laughs> put this on my bag <laughs> good good maybe maybe but maybe a fabric patch or something yeah, we can yeah, we can upmarket it a bit from a sticker uh they're stickers they're the kind of stickers you normally put on like laptops and stuff like yeah, that yeah yeah um but yes no mm. it's a, a, a great possibilities for the future absolutely and that's another lesson is like what why i know that like dangerous palsy can go far is that we enjoy the process of making videos like the whole shebang, right? From mm. like writing it to producing it to editing it to like trying to figure out how to improve things. Like if you still have joy in the process, like I think that's a good sign. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and as like Charlene pointed out in another kind of podcast we did, if you want to start a channel, you have to start before you think you're ready. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you just got to get it out there. Because if we were to go back to our early videos if we were to produce videos of that quality today, we would never publish them, right? <laughs> we would just be like, okay, sorry, scrap, do again. Uh, we, we, we look back on those things and cringe, but that that cringe factor shows you how far you come, right? Yeah. So uh, don't think you're going to be perfect out of, out of the box. You're not going to be. Um, so, But I, I, it's a really rewarding experience if you have the right people around you. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely go do it. The other thing that uh, uh, we're looking for, so we, we had another kind of big plan uh, for the one-year celebration. We're not able to announce it yet because we're still doing the logistics and so on, but yeah. there are people we want to do interviews with that fit with the theme of this channel. Yeah. And it involves a significant trip for us uh, to go to various places to go and interview the, the relevant individuals. I'm we're getting excited. <laughs> Uh, when the when the borders and things come down, I'm sure we will expand that for the next great milestone and actually go overseas and do some of this stuff. But for now, we're going to cross the country. Uh, and it took some negotiation. Yes, it took $400 worth of Warhammer. <laughs> so Charlene went to her boyfriend like, can I go do this, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, like obviously, you know, as, as guys do, they're like, oh, we'll put it down the line, blah, blah, blah. And then... Out of the blue, he, he messaged her yeah, and said... Yeah, he just, like, messaged me. And he was like, hey, babe, if you do this, you can go on the trip. And it was, like, $400 worth of Warhammer. So what I did was, like, is that it? All right. I went online. I bought it. And I was, like, done. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I bought it. And he's like, what? Is this, hmm, sauce? And then I was like, do you want a screenshot? And I screenshotted it. And I said it. He's like, I should have asked for more. <laughs> It was, it was awesome. Oh, it was glorious. <laughs> so I'm like, yay, good, go on our trip. <laughs> yeah, you might come too. So Yeah, yeah. that would be nice. So in uh, September, 
is when we're planning for it, sort of third week of September. So watch this space. We've got some cool things in the pipeline. Even if this particular thing doesn't work out, we will find something oh, else yeah. for, for that time. But but uh, good confidence um, that this will work out. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so thank you very much is the kind of just to summarize this. Thank you so much for sticking with us through this time. It has been a long journey. I know that I have great gratitude for for those subscribers who um, who comment regularly, uh, who keep offering their feedback and advice and criticism and so forth. We, mm. we really appreciate yeah. that. We welcome it all. Like YouTube mm. sometimes filters it and then we have to manually click, yes, it's okay. Because we're a free speech channel, by the way. Like mm. none of your comments gets deleted by us. It gets deleted by YouTube or, yeah, the like. But, yeah, we always hit yes. <laughs> Yeah, so YouTube doesn't like census stuff and, yeah. and we don't like that. Uh, there are things that we are not allowed to talk about on the channel. Uh, and then in the comments, there are things that little trigger words and things that, that pick up their YouTube. Um, whenever we have the opportunity, because YouTube has its own like blanket restriction. Yeah. Um, whenever we have the opportunity, we say yes, yes, yes. Like you know, yeah. when it comes up for review, uh, I don't think we've, the only, the only comments that I've ever said no to are those things that are, obvious spam so oh, yeah, you know, people course. selling like you know adult products and stuff like that you know click on this link for your love of your life or whatever like i'll delete those but, but never someone's criticism or commentary at all never ever uh okay so yeah all right stick with us yeah. and i will or maybe you me hit the, hit the thing no but i was about to say right is like what, what do you mean you want to like that comment it was like dangerously has it like that oh. <laughs> All right, so, I mean, we have the greatest audience of all time, right? The most intelligent, brilliant, open-minded, cosmopolitan, thoughtful, genial, solicitous individuals out there. And But, you know, we, we wouldn't rank our audience at all, but there is one comment that says that, uh, you know, I'm seriously handsome and, uh, you know, spectacular insights. Uh, oh, God. He, like, the one, like, compliment he gets, he quickly messages me, this one speaks the truth, all the truth. This is the Bible. <laughs> Charlie's like, it's not true, though. Why is this person lying? <laughs> this person's after your money. I'm like, they know how to get my money. It's, it's perfectly fine. I mean, thank you very much for that kind comment. Uh, all right, let's move on. <laughs> so let's just review. <laughs> this week uh, you talked about Jonathan Swan. I didn't know, right, that... Mm. So Jonathan Swan is the son of Norman Swan. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, for foreign audience, you'll have no idea who Norman Swan is, but there's a good chance you might know who Jonathan Swan is. Uh, so Jonathan is by now way more famous than his father, but mm. his father is a, a prominent uh, doctor in the media here in Australia. Mm -hmm. and he's a medical correspondent. I always listen to like the Corona cast and like he's like a main feature of Corona cast. So, oh, no one's on. <laughs> yeah. So a bit of a, a media dynasty going on there. And I think, mm. I think Jonathan's mother is also quite prominent. I can't remember why, so I don't want to give that away. Mm. Uh, and yeah, no, he, he's a, a very brilliant investigative journalist. Now, I have my criticisms of Axios, the company he works for. So how come you guys, like, were enemies, friends? Like, when enemies is a strong word. But, okay. But, but Disagreement, buddies. <laughs> okay, so so it started out uh, in 2015. Let's go way back. So this is just before Jonathan became, like, a, a household name, mm. right? Like, this was before he was a, you know, he was just going to the United States or had just arrived. Yeah. Uh, and so he was it was like a journalist here in Australia, but not really super famous. Mm -mm. Um, so he's Australian, right? He is Australian, okay. yes. And he was promoting uh, a forecaster called Nate Silver. Uh, he owns a company called 538. Mm -hmm. um, Nate Silver was predicting that Donald Trump in the 2016 election would be wiped out by August of, of 2015 in the primaries, yeah. uh, that he had no chance to become a president of the United States. And Jonathan Swan was like, this guy knows what he's talking about, blah, blah, blah. He's like, brilliant, he's always right, et cetera, et cetera. And I think of Nate Silver as a charlatan, right? He is, he is the quintessential political astrologer, right? He's someone that, that goes, okay, there is a 55.9% probability uh, that X will happen. Right? This is what, and these are numbers that he pl plucks, plucks out of the, the air, air, right? Okay. 
and if it happens, he's like, oh, look, there's me being absolutely right, blah, blah, blah. blah. And if it doesn't happen? Oh, what part of 55% do you not understand, right? <laughs> it means that half the time it's not going to work, right? And, and he'll say that for any figure. He'll be like, oh, 90% of the time this will happen. Oh, no, 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 10% of the time it won't happen. Now, this is true in, in poker, right, where, you know, you've got a 90% chance of winning a hand and 10% of the chance it doesn't happen and that's mm. just the way that the cookie crumbles, right? Yeah. But these are, these are facts. These are things you can verify uh, whereas in his mind, these are just things that he comes up with. So flaky, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and, and I mean, I could get boring on the topic of how, how he's managed to bewilder people. But Jonathan Swan was one of his great champions. And so I said, look, I'm a way better forecaster than this guy. And this is what. And, and anyway, Jonathan Swan came back and he's like, you know, oh, you're full of it, blah, blah, blah. You know, show some proof. And then I sent some proof. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, oh, it's ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then when Donald Trump won and, and Jonathan Swan was there when it happened mm. as, a, as a White House correspondent, uh, he came back to his great credit and said, you know, Crispin, you're the most badass political forecaster in the world. Um, do we have proof? Yeah, yeah, no, we, we, we do. Um, I don't want to show it's, it's not a, It's not a nice thing to kind of, you know, get into these personal things. But, oh, I thought it was just a tweet. Okay, no, don't worry about it. Um, well, no, but I, I do have proof. He he, he uh, gave me a, a wonderful quote. Mm. Um, but the, and since then, you know, we've had our agreements and disagreements over the course of the, of the Trump administration. Mm. Um, so, for example, I disagree with him on the New York Times and Maggie Haberman and other kind of observers and journalists that he really praises. Like he, most of our disagreements come with people we we choose to admire. Mm. Um, he chooses to admire the most crazy people in my view, right? People that are just totally not worth that effort mm. and attention. Uh, and yet when it comes to the quality of his work himself in terms of a journalist, in terms of interviews and in covering things that people don't otherwise get to uncover, uh, he's, he's unequaled. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason for that is he doesn't bring a lot of baggage. Like when when you're, a, I mean, one of the reasons, one of it's just he's a great journalist and really professional. Yeah. But, but another reason is he doesn't bring a lot of baggage to what he does. So he will take people at face value and ask questions mm. directly. Uh, he doesn't get caught up in the partisanship. So in the US, you know, Almost all media is heavily politically aligned. Mm -hmm. So if he has a conversation with the president of the United States, let's say Trump, and it's not him just attacking him for, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. then he's going to, then Jonathan Swan himself will be satirized and attacked by an entire wing mm -hmm. of the media establishment. And if he's, um, if he is criticizing Trump constantly and blah, 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 then they'll, he'll be accused of Trump derangement syndrome by a whole other right-wing faction in the media as well. So the, the fact that he just doesn't get involved in any of that, mm. and he's just like, okay, these are the kinds of issues that I think the audience needs to know about. This is what the public interest is. Uh, I'm going to ask questions that relate to that and try and get honest answers. Well, in one sense, it's just a man with classic journalistic ethics, mm. but in the contemporary world in which everything is uh, you know, driven by by um clickbait and by mm. whoever has the most sensational headlines and and the commentators have displaced classical journalists as the the greatest revenue producers of media mm. um that uh, it is such a rarity to have someone who clings so rigidly to a faithful questioning of the of the facts i mean there was another interview that he did with the crown prince of saudi arabia uh where there was a terrible murder um, mm. of a of a journalist in the Saudi embassy in Turkey. Um, he was a who was a, living in the United States. Went to the, this Turkish consulate to get some paperwork done. Was was killed on the Crown Prince's orders, um, and the uh, so it wasn't with the Crown Prince. He had the interview with Jared Kushner. The the uh, obviously son-in-law of Donald Trump, mm. heavily involved in the Trump administration. In many ways, one of Trump's greatest assets, he was one of the, the individuals who was critical in brokering all those peace deals between Israel and the Arab yeah. countries, right? But he had a really close relationship with the Crown Prince, the same guy that that, that murdered a permanent US resident. Mm. And Jonathan Swan's like, what do you see in this guy, right? He's mm. a killer, 
You know, and, and so his ability to, no matter who you are, whether you're Jared Kushner, whether you're the Prime Minister of Pakistan, to ask the question that is in the public interest for people to get answers to, mm. to do that fearlessly but also respectfully yeah. um, is a great credit to to modern journalism and as part of a dying breed. But, but he's being rewarded for his journalistic integrity uh, and therefore um, he's being admired across party lines. He's one of the few people that people on both the left and the right now respect. Mm. Um, so kudos to him. He deserves the accolades he's receiving. Yeah. Uh, but but he's wrong about a whole bunch of stuff. So uh, so he, he and I will continue to butt heads, um, I'm sure, for many years to come. He, he's a worthy adversary in those respects. Mm. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I wish him every success. He, he's, a, he's a true leader in his craft. Um, mm. And... As we saw with the M. Grand Khan video, where you know he's just like, okay, well, you're criticizing the West for all Islamophobia. the Islamophobia across the border. A million it's genocide. Yeah. So, uh, aren't you going to say anything? No, no, no. Behind closed doors. Behind closed doors. Peace will rise before the <laughs> <laughs> What yeah. the hell, mate? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Gosh. Exactly, and these 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 duplicities are so obvious. Um, well, I kind of get it though. Like, if these leaders are getting lots and lots of money from China, and China like obviously does what it does, right? It's like I'll give mm. you this trade, and I'll give you that trade, and then by the end of it, your whole country is dependent on China. That you have no way out, <laughs> and the fact that you know once you say something wrong, like you know your whole economy can collapse by just saying a word. <laughs> That's true. Like it's a lot of pressure for one individual. So I can kind of see where he's coming from. And I think it is a setting an example of why other countries shouldn't trade with China in that way. <laughs> um, well, that last point is definitely true. A really great warning that you don't want to be as dependent on China as Australia has become. Uh, I think Lithuania has been making like really considered uh, approaches to this really based on integrity. Uh, not so necessarily Germany, France, those other countries. Because you're allowing basically, you know, any country, right? Mm. You know, but China's just the example, is that when they become so powerful and you become so dependent on them, they can get away with anything, including to your own citizens. They could probably kill your own citizens. You can still say nothing. Like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, no, it's 100% true. Although I think you're almost being too generous to the Pakistani prime minister because what you've said implies that... If it weren't for for Pakistan's dependence on China, they they have a different line, and in this particular case, I don't think that's true. Uh, Pakistan is a client state of China in many respects, uh, mostly because Pakistan is terrified of India. Mm, so, okay. uh, Pakistan's mortal enemy is, is India. Uh, for a while there, they were almost peer competitors. Of course, India had a much larger population. Pakistan's population is not small. It's a couple of hundred million people. But India, of course, is massive. Uh, and they were, they were kind of tightly competing, although India has long since pulled away in terms of its economic growth and strength and national might. And Pakistan has been anemic and struggling mm. for many years. So... The great equaliser has been China. China was the one that um, supported Pakistan's nuclear program. It's something that India will never forgive China for completely, which is that um, at some point the Chinese government said to Pakistan, look, we aren't going to allow your nuclear program to fall too far behind that of India mm. um, so that you can continue to defend yourself with nuclear weapons against India. And that was a, that was a, a significant thing so that when India tested its nuclear device um, Pakistan could follow suit within weeks. Mm. Um, so this was a... That's so scary. Like, here, have a bomb. Pretty much. <laughs> and we'll protect it. Oh, great, great. <laughs> like, I mean, it makes sense. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, they, they gave them all kinds of technology, centrifuge magnets, all, all sorts of things. I and um, the... So, so Pakistan has been a client of China for a while. Mm. So even if it wasn't as economically dependent as it is, um, I think just because they hate India so much, and you'll remember Imran Khan keeps coming mm. back to Kashmir, yeah. all those Indian troops and blah, 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 uh, that they'll, they'll, they'll happily sell the Uyghurs down the river if it means continued support from China, um, yeah. regardless of the economic impact. It's just a strategic role as well. So... Uh, there's another country, I would say Cambodia in ASEAN, uh, which is in that similar mold. They're getting so much Chinese money. 
so mm. much corruption. Mm. Um, they're almost pretty much a client of China as well. China is getting inroads in obviously Iran, uh, the Central Asian countries. So um, there's a lot of, you know, it really does expose the duplicity um, from many of these places. Why can't we do anything? If we knew what, like, happening in World War Two, like, we can totally see what happens when genocide happens. Like, I don't understand. Why does well, the world I wish that was the lesson. Turned. Oh. I mean, remember, there's a, there's a terrible, eerie line. And I, I'm careful about the history here because it's not clear... I don't want to um, get into debates about the Holocaust too much here, but um, the Holocaust wasn't the first genocide. Mm. In, in modern culture, the first genocide was the Armenian genocide. Oh, yeah. In 1915, when the Ottomans uh, killed a million Armenians. And a certain Austrian, then German, Chancellor of the 1930s, uh, once quipped when persecuting the Jews, who now speaks of the Armenians? The lesson that has been derived is that mass atrocities can occur and if it's not in the direct interests of others to do anything about it, they generally don't do anything about it. Uh, and, and some of the wrong lessons have been learned. Sometimes people learn this lesson too much, so... Uh, for example, the Rwandan genocide of the 1990s mm. uh, was probably the latest true genocide. Um, perhaps, you know, with perhaps what happened in, in Kosovo and things like that, but definitely Rwanda, um, where the the um, Tutsis, uh, I think, were the, I, I, there, there was a terrible massacre. Mm. 500,000 Rwandans killed just for being who they are. Mm. And because the international community failed to act at that time, a whole generation of liberal interventionists were born. So people who believed in responsibility to protect Samantha Power, um, you know, from the United States most notably, uh, and that's when Gaddafi's Libya occurred. So when when Gaddafi got up and called his enemies cockroaches and things like that, which is just normal rhetoric really. Yeah. Because that was the same language used during the Rwanda genocide, a lot of people overreacted mm. and thought that Gaddafi was about to commit a genocide against his own people, which is what led to the intervention. Mm. Right? Uh, now, of course, he wasn't committing a genocide. He was fighting armed insurrectionists. Right? A genocide is where you get a group of unarmed people who, yeah. based entirely on who they are, their immutable characteristics, be that their race, ethnicity, whatever, yeah. that they think that they no longer deserve to exist, right? Mm. Uh, and you systematically exterminate them. And so that's that's where the word genocide really erupts, whereas he was fighting a civil war. Mm. It wasn't characterised by as a civil war by the Americans, much to the regret of everyone involved. Now Libya is a failed state. Um, the US ambassador in Benghazi was, was murdered. Uh, the ISIS basically took over the country. So you can make terrible decisions on the basis of expecting a genocide. But unless the genocide is unfolding before your eyes, mm. you don't know that you should have done something, right? Mm. So there's this terrible balancing act where if you try and prevent an atrocity, mm. you can end up making the the, the, the thing so much worse because yeah. you don't know necessarily it's going to happen until it happens. And then when it does happen, there's the inevitable thing of like we should have done more. Mm. Whereas in the case of China, it's clear what's happening. It's just the countries realise it's not in their interest to rock the boat with China. Those countries that have a great dependency on China don't want to talk too much about it. Mm. Those countries that have no dependency on China are happy to discuss it. Um, I'm just like, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> I guess that I guess it's within the they've changed their brains. I don't know. Well, also Chinese diplomats have become much more effective. So back in the day, China's apparatchiks were basically the people they sent to the UN and so on. They, they were not diplomats. They were people that were being rewarded for their loyalty to the revolution or mm. their loyalty to Mao. Uh, whereas now China has fully pr professionalized its diplomatic core. They're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. 
uh, even though it's banned to their own citizens in their own country. Mm. Um, their, their diplomats are very aggressive. And so they're very good at pointing out the hypocrisy in the West. I mean, they'll say, like, just as Jonathan Swan pointed out the hypocrisy among, you know, the, the Arab leaders and, and um, Imran Khan and Pakistan, uh, the, the Chinese are great at pointing out hypocrisy mm. in the rest of the world. They'll look at America's atrocities, Australia's human rights record, uh, and they'll say, what about, there's a lot of whataboutism, right? Yeah. Uh, and if To you, move the attention away from them, duh. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. That's what they're trying to do. And they're trying to get the West to have a fight within itself. <laughs> well, that's the biggest, that's, my, that's actually my biggest fear um, when it comes to the US-China struggle. So, there's a book that that I read once a year. It's I think the greatest book ever written. It's Thucydides' History of the Peloponnesian War, the story of the war between Sparta and Athens. And and Pericles was the first citizen of Athens during the start of that war, great great statesman. Mm. And when the war broke out, he said, "Look, I'm more afraid of our own mistakes than our enemies' designs." Okay, mm. and I think that was truly prophetic. In the West today, we have a crisis of confidence. We're we're not willing to stand up for our values and our institutions. Some are, like Lithuania, but mostly we th- we're always about white supremacy, patriarchy, how we were oppressors of the entire world. Nothing about how we actually solved slavery or brought in the modern age or invented the vaccine, all of that stuff. Yeah. No, that's, that's all suppressed. Um, and the reason why, uh, you know, Imran Khan in Pakistan can talk about Islamophobia is because it has a fertile audience in the West. The West likes to self-deprecate the most liberal, open, tolerant society in the entire history of the world um, uh, is the most willing to think that it's, you know, filled with oppression and supremacy and hatred. None of this is true. If you are, and I made the video a while ago about how there's all these sort of queers for Palestine, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in Tel Aviv, in Israel, which is the most Western country in the Middle East by far, uh, you can have a gay pride parade. You see it walking down the main yeah. street. You can be executed for being gay in these surrounding countries, right? And yet it's the West that's intolerant, ignorant, all of that. It's so bizarre. Mm. And the lack of confidence that we have in the West with our own institutions is great, which is why uh, a few weeks ago when we did the Week in Review and I, and I quipped about the, uh, the Chinese trolling, which most of it's terrible, but but that one thing I just think it's amazingly funny is when they were talking about how they're teaching Shakespeare at uh, in, in, in Chinese institutions uh, and being like, yes, China is the true cultural inheritors of the Western tradition. Uh, in other words, saying China, you know, will admire those things in the West that are truly great. You know, the great art, the great yeah. music. I mean, how many you know Asians these days are are winning the classical music competitions, the violin, and so on. You know, playing Mozart and Beethoven. Uh, there is there's there's truth to be had about that. They'll, they'll they recognize the West contribution, even if the West doesn't. Mm. Uh, and they absolutely laugh at us um, that that we won't stand up for our own cultural achievements. But they're happy to exploit it. Um, and so when Pericles says, look, I'm, I'm more afraid of our own mistakes and our enemies' designs, I'm more afraid of our own crisis of confidence in the West, our own unwillingness to stand up for our achievements and the things that are truly great about our cultures and societies mm. um, that, that leads to a, a serious uh, innovation, a lack of confidence, a, a lack of willingness to stand up for those things that allows China to, to outpace us and ultimately prevail. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think before clinging on to dangerous policy, I just never really had much thought of just how much Western cult, like how much of the world has benefited from Western culture and democracy. Things that we just take for granted, <laughs> having free speech, not feeling that you're going to be persecuted to have different views, not being controlled by your own government, being able to free roam. I mean, the, I don't want to mention so-called app, but like. <laughs> For the most part, like, there have been amazing innovations that have come out from Western culture, things that deserve to be celebrated but are not. Like, it always ends up being, you know, yes, we're going to celebrate this thing, but then don't forget this thing that happened because of it, you know. Like, it's... Well, <sighs> in the in the kind of the woke worldview, it's like everything that the West achieved was through oppression and subjugation of others. That's... And and therefore, uh, you know, the, like f- from their point of view, the only reason we celebrate Beethoven or Mozart or 
Vivaldi or Bach, um, just taking music as an example, mm. is because we've we've suppressed the black voices. We don't we don't celebrate the 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 African uh, musicians and so on. Like uh, we don't we don't appreciate their instruments. That that's their argument, and yet the whole world shares this view, right? Like it's not. Um, and it, it isn't suppressing those things. It's just the fact that we have our own cultural traditions and we're happy to promote mm. them and, and other cultures appreciate them, right? There mm. isn't this, not everything is cultural imperialism. Some mm. things are just appreciated because they're nice and mm. people like them. Yeah. Um, you know what frustrates you the most is when they have that kind of argument and they're like, okay, why? So you start to question, right? Mm-hmm. And you never, because you, you want to learn. And then it was like, oh, it's not my job to educate you. Go Google. And I'm like, how are you meant to improve anything? <laughs> like, do you know what you're arguing about? <laughs> yes. Uh, and people are much more apologetic for cultures that aren't Western cultures. I mean, you see atrocities that happen in China or in the Islamic world. Uh, and they go, well, oh, yes, but that's because of their, you know, cultural values or that's because, you know, the West, like, abused them for so long. Um, it's never, oh, we we just okay. You have women's rights in 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 the West, and you don't in Saudi Arabia. Oh well, it's because the West is superior in this way, right? Yes. Um, yes. Like, um, <laughs> that, that's not that's not an attitude that a lot, that a lot of these people are willing to concede. Um, yeah. And uh, and the, the entire scientific method, the 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 Enlightenment tradition, you know, go back a few hundred years. Slavery was a universal crushed by the British Navy, right? It's it's the Western culture that ended slavery, right? You then have uh, diseases that wiped out most people by before the age of five, right? Infant mortality was insane. Cholera epidemics, bubonic plague, and so on. It was only through Western medicine, uh, you know, trial and error, proper observation, experimentation, falsification, mm-hmm. uh, that that we overcame these challenges. Um, the 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 world has been bequeathed such a benefit mm. across all fields of human endeavour, mm. thanks to the hard work and achievements of Western culture. And you can see it now, right, with coronavirus. Like we got a vaccine within a year. We mm. had more than one vaccine, and that was because of shared knowledge. Like I think was Australia was the first one of the first countries to actually duplicate the the virus, and be, and then then from there then everyone was sharing information of like okay we're gonna try this trial we're gonna try that trial oh it failed that's fine like we were actively sharing knowledge, and you could see that China wasn't sharing anything. <laughs> we tried and we got criticised and burdened for it. Yeah, and credit where credit's due. Um, like. When, when Putin announced the Sputnik vaccine, the one-shot vaccine, uh, first before everybody else, mm. everyone laughed at it. Everyone was like, oh, Russian, like, you know, it's probably injecting chemicals or whatever. Uh, and so people rightly were sceptical, I think, were, were fair, fair to say. Um, and yet it has proven to be a highly effective vaccine. Uh, it has been recognised by scholars and and testers and various uh, regulators across the world as being something that works. In fact, it's the most effective against the latest variant that has emerged Mm. uh, and uh, is now being used in in various countries throughout Europe and and South America and and is helping a lot of people. So when the history is written, um, we will have to credit Russia with the first effective vaccine that that emerged Mm. and was published uh, on the world market. Um, so congrats to that. And, and I, I want to pay this respect because one thing that really has worried me about Russia, and I'll do some videos on it, I'm sure, at some stage, is that since the end of the Cold War, not much new has come out of Russia, right? Like at one stage during the Soviet Union, you know, a third of all scientific papers were written in Russian, right? We're, we're like it was a, a phenomenal force. We had an anniversary of of, um, Yuri Gagarin's great triumph and travelling to space. Yeah, Um, I thought Russia was such a world leader in technology. Yeah, and it's trying to be again. It's partnering with China to do so, of course, but it's uh, it it is starting to come out from under that rock. I think after when the Soviet Union collapsed for a good 25, 30 years, there really wasn't much to be said from new Russian 
contributions. And for, for a country that has contributed an outsized amount in terms of music, you know, Tchaikovsky, um, Shostakovich, Rachmaninoff, uh, the, the great authors, uh, you know, the best authors, in fact, Tolstoy, uh, um, Shosh, uh, Solzhenitsyn, um, oh my God, uh, Dostoevsky, uh, Lermontov, like there's just so many, you know, Pushkin, um, the, the architects, it's it just, it's amazing, right? Truly great contribution, not to say it's contribution to the defeating of, of fascism in World War II, an enormous, mm, unfathomable gosh. sacrifice. So it's a country that's done a lot. It's also done some bad things and and uh, and uh, Baltic states have a lot of valid gripes against it and we should do everything to guard against further um, encroachments. Mm -hmm. But I am pleased to see that that somewhere Russia has managed to do something that's uh, you know brought it back onto the world stage. It's very much a Western country, although it it likes to think itself it's not. It is a European culture, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I look forward to the day uh, that we can welcome Russia back into the family of nations. Uh, a lot of problems, a lot of serious difficulties in the relationships, but um, fingers crossed. I think I think we can get there. Mm. no for sure mm. by the way i got my second jab of astra and i'm fine no tail yet <laughs> touch wood yeah touch wood yeah so it's actually been banned for people who are asian australia now because of the blood clots yeah um, i love it because like the first time they rolled it out it's like oh yeah all is welcome i'm like hell yeah i'll get a jab and then the restrictions came and i was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh well <laughs> Yeah, I'm on the Pfizer list. I'll get oh, mine yeah? in, in July. Yeah. Um, also, right, my parents are obviously way older than me, but they got the Astra, AstraZeneca, mm -hmm. and um, they felt nothing. My mum was like, so um, my dad was like, I feel good. <laughs> I was like, bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, I think it's true for most people, but the problem is these clots are so serious. They're not, oh, yeah. they're not like, you know, a bit of joint pain. Like some of them are in the brain and so on. So, um, no, I'm saying like the age difference was just so stark. Like, mm. you can just, and then I've heard stories people say they felt better after they had the vaccine. Maybe it's a <laughs> mental thing. I don't know. Euphoria vaccine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, man, <laughs> but yes. it's okay. Well, mm. I'm just glad. I'm just. Yeah. All right. We're coming to the end. Any final thoughts, Crispin? Uh, well, I want to, I mean, we've, we've got probably four or five. I mean, I could go on forever about the movies from the 90s, but four or five films that we're going to do before mm. I think we'll get to the very end. Uh, and then we can do a full, cultured. Yeah, we'll do we'll do a whole weekend review, I think, just on the videos that we have watched, the movies from the 90s, which mm. I think is the golden age of, of world cinema. Uh, and then we might start on a on a television series that we can agree on if we're, we're both willing to watch it. Um, there's that HBO Rome series. Um, so the reason that, that I'm thinking about this now is we, we watch Gladiator, Mm. Yes, that came out in 2000, but of course it was made in the 90s. Um, and I gave her a list of options. She chose, chose that film. Uh, a lot that we could say about it. Um, it was definitely at the height of the Roman Empire. Uh, Commodus uh, and Marcus Aurelius, of course, were all real figures, although Maximus was not. Mm. Um, and Commodus is thought of being one of the worst emperors. Uh, it was an interesting time period because it went from one of the greatest emperors, Marcus Aurelius, who, of course, wrote the meditations and was a great Stoic philosopher, to Commodus, who was, you know, very self-indulgent. Um, but there was, you know, no battle between him and Maximus in the arena or anything like that, although Commodus was a gladiator. He, he did fight in the arena and, by all accounts, was really good, even by people who despised him, thought that he was quite a, a notable warrior. Mm. And he was also notable for being left-handed. So if you lefties out there, um, you know, there, there is that he was recognised as an advantage even back in the ancient world, uh, although you couldn't be a left-handed man in the, uh, in the legions. Uh, you were forced to fight with your right hand because of the formations and working together. Um, but Gladiator was a, was a good film, but I wouldn't say it was like an all-time iconic film. Uh, there are a number of other movies we'll have in the list. There's Independence Day we haven't watched yet, mm -hmm. uh, which will be a fun adventure film. Uh, a few others, also what I consider one of the greatest films of all time. When we've done that, we'll do a full week in review. Mm -hmm. But then because of Gladiator and because of all the questions I got from Charlene about ancient Rome from that film, mm. um, maybe HBO's Rome series would be a good television show. Um, yeah. So you can get a, a real sense of of the fall of the Roman Republic and the rise of the Roman Empire. I think it was a really interesting time period. Uh, first century AD is where that's set. Uh, and it's also probably the, the period that we know the most about because you've got the works of Cicero, Tacitus, 
uh, Plutarch, Levy, uh, all these individuals from, from that period, kind of Cassius Dio, uh, writing about this period. So we know the intricate personal lives of a lot of these protagonists of that period. So um, if you are interested in Rome, we could look at that. Uh, but who knows? This is this is me just spewing ideas. Yeah, he's just spewing, man. Like as soon as I mention Rome, he just goes on and on and on and on. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. No idea, no idea what he's saying. <laughs> well, I mean, it's such a critical thing. This is so, it's it so is, it's so alien. I taught about it. <laughs> well, it's so alien to me that people don't know. I mean, because I'm I'm history obsessed, right? So I never did history I in get... school. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I get embarrassed if I'm like, okay, who came first, the the Pechenegs or the Avars, right? We're talking like, you know, like step care. step tribes that came between the sort of the the, the fifth and twelfth century AD, like very minor figures, oh, you know, in, in a small part of of Hungary, right? So what I'm like, tribe? yeah. So I'm like, I'm I'm I, I'm trying to think like, okay, which were the Gallic tribe? You know, you know, was it the Swabi? Was it the like the, these are these are things that I get embarrassed by because of my just deep love of history. If I don't remember, um, you know, like who who was in control of, uh, you know, modern day uh, Canaan. Huh? Um, like, 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 <laughs> Is that know, a dog? 3000 BC, you know, like was it, was it the Egyptians or was it the Israelites? Um, so I'm just obsessed with history. But when I'm like, oh, you know, the Roman Empire this or the Roman Republic that, mm. and people just give me blank stares, and I'm like, this is this is just how can people not know this stuff? So um, we just don't, Crispin. <laughs> we just don't. It's so it's so central to who we are. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could do a whole video on like why Rome is so relevant to today. She's like, you know, just don't talk about it now. <laughs> just don't talk about it now. All I want to talk about is Gladiator. They go, pew, pew. And then <laughs> and there's like blood and there's gore. And then, the, um, yeah, they're just warriors, essentially. Although you did point it out in the movie that when they have their, like, the Gladiator show, um, that they don't generally don't die because in every single scene, like one of them dies. Like, and like, well, that's a waste of resource. Like, well, yes, exactly. I mean, most most gladiators would survive their battles most of the time, mm -mm. Uh, and people were rewarded for fighting well, even if they lost. So it, you know, some people would like many people were sentenced to death in the arena, right? But they were usually yeah, criminals, prisoners, people yeah. who were sentenced to die, and they would die. Um, but gladiators themselves, you know, would, would usually die by accident if they if they died because obviously they're in their fighting, you could easily get killed. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, you know, that wasn't the purpose most of the time. Um, What's purpose? Entertainment. It's yeah, like TV. It's blood sports. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the UFC except you could die. Um, oh, nice. And uh, the the what we are now, I mean, a bit of trivia. Uh, what we now call the the Colosseum. Um, the word Colossus is a Greek word mm -hmm. um, named after the, the Colossus of Rhodes, which was one of the ancient, great wonders of the ancient world, a massive 41-metre uh, statue that w was at the entrance to the Rhodes Harbour in, in Greece. Um, and that was because of a siege that failed. There was a siege engine roughly that size. So in honour for the gods that protected them, they created a, a statue of that immense size. Mm. But it stood for less than 100 years before an earthquake brought it down. Mm. But the reason we call it the Colosseum is because uh, the Emperor Nero built a great statue of himself, Colossus meaning huge statue, mm. outside of the amphitheatre, which mm. is no longer there. But so that that word kind of got transposed to the, the <laughs> arena itself, and that's why we call it the Colosseum. Ah. The Romans themselves called it the Flavian Amphitheatre after the uh, uh, Vespasian and his son Titus, the two Flavian emperors who mm. built it. So mm. do they still call it that, the Flavian? No, no, da -da -da. it's called it's called the Colosseum oh, okay. everywhere. But the the ancient Romans called it the Flavian Amphitheatre. They wouldn't have called it the Colosseum. Ah, oh, mm. okay, cool, nice, nice. Um, I don't know. I don't really have any. Um, Final thoughts, except I just came back from a trip down south, so I became a true Australian. <laughs> and what I've kind of realised is I'm not that much of a big drinker, <laughs> as much as I want to be. We'll, we'll, we'll help with that. Oh, yeah, okay, whatever. But, yeah, and eating all this great food, it was great. So um, looking forward to doing more trips, although my family are more like glamping, so don't really traditionally camp. We kind of just find a nice place. Where's the apartment and squat? <laughs> anyway, no, it was great. Raining, whatever, great. 
Yeah. All right. That's all the time we've got for today. Any questions, any feedback, please leave them down below. If you have any movie recommendations in the 90s or TV shows that isn't Rome, please. <laughs> well, Rome came out in like 2004 or something. So one of the things about the TV series, Rome. Uh, is so he's on it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's only for two seasons. It's not, not a huge commitment. Uh, and uh, but it was like one of the first serialized shows in the streaming age, or just before the streaming age. So HBO really burst onto the scene in that regard. Before that, you know, you had to watch episode to episode. You couldn't mm. just binge it, um, which really changed the format of storytelling. Mm, mm. That was all I was going to say. Okay, cool, Christmas. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Needs more dragons. All right, we'll see you next time. Yes. Ciao for now. <laughs>